Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Janice. And this is The X-Files, a podcast about breakups, broken hearts, and moving on. We are breakup coaches here to help you beat your breakup, heal your broken heart, and move on to an amazing, abundant life. Hi, welcome to episode 20 of X-Files. Oh my goodness. What an accomplishment. We're so excited that for episode 20, we are bringing on another one of our beautiful You Coaching Academy friends, Emma Pleasure from Australia. Woo! Yep, we sat down with Emma a couple weeks ago to talk about her work as a pleasure coach. Emma is a pleasure coach who works with women to embrace pleasure in and outside of the bedroom. And we had a really fun chat with her and something that I think all of our listeners are really going to enjoy because pleasure can yeah, always be amplified. And she definitely has some ideas about how to do that, right? Yes, it was such a fun talk. And we covered so many just yummy topics, um, mm-hmm. including uh, communication, how to ask for what you need um, from your partner, also figuring out what you need because we are not taught how to do that um, as Mm -hmm. women. And we also talk about the trouble with faking it in the bedroom. (laughs) Oh my God, that should be the title. The trouble with faking it. (laughs) The problem with faking it is that no one's happy. Um, Right. (laughs) So we explore that more. Beautiful insight about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's got some great energy. And we're excited to share her with our audience. Yeah, it's definitely a very calming episode as well. So, (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much, Emma, for coming on. And we would really love to hear from everyone about what you think. Where else do you start with you, Emma, but talking about pleasure and sensuality, um, not just sexuality, but also outside of that. How do you get started with that in that area? If you're like, I don't even know where to start when thinking about that for myself. Mm, It's a really good question. And I think one that comes up a lot when our life is quite extended and quite full, we're not really Mm -hmm. thinking so much about pleasure because we're stuck in the doing or even caught in overwhelm. And I think that thinking about pleasure from a point of something that is just a mindful moment to begin with, you know, what could I do that just serves me to slow down, gives me a little something. I think that's a really good starting point. Mm -hmm. And also to think about, I think a lot of the time we think that pleasure is something that's really big. You know, we we're waiting for our haircut. So many women are talking about, you know, they get their three hours out when they go to the hairdresser and get their oils done. Yeah, but when we save it up like that, it's really, it's kind of not enough. It's not enough pleasure. Yeah. Pleasure is more like small sips of water. You know, a small sip of water hydrates mm. you much better than chugging the full glass. Mm-hmm. So if you think of those small sips of water and that's incremental, so it's just tiny little things. It's just, you know, pausing with the sun on your skin. Or it's taking a moment to actually be present in a hug with someone. Yeah, I really love that. And that's a really great uh, definition and uh, starting point. Yeah. You think that we could 
maybe backtrack just a little bit and get into some relationshipy stuff with you? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Yes, because we have talked a little bit about your past relationships and you're currently in a 15 year long partnership, right? Yes. Yeah, that's beautiful. And before then you were in a relationship, you told me with someone that you kind of realized that you had a tendency to want to change. So how did you get from that realizing you needed to leave and then now on to a decade and a half commitment? Hmm. I th- that I think that the the pattern of wanting to change someone gosh it sounds so awful and egotistical to think about it but it it was something that I recognized was a pattern across multiple relationships so it became a bit of a signal for me at that point in time with the philosophy that I had when that idea came up for me that when I could recognize that I was starting to want them to be different and to I guess think that I could mold some behaviors or maybe the some behaviors could be molded, even if it wasn't by me, that mm-hmm. that became a reason for me to leave. It became a signal that I was no longer happy. And how I would see that now would be, okay, what is it about that behavior or what's coming up that I can look at within myself? Like, what does this actually mean about me rather mm-hmm. than, you know, what's wrong with them or the relationship's bad and not working? I think really it is a symptom of many other things that behavior or desire came up as a symptom of other things that were going on and who I was back then. Somebody who probably needed to be needed, somebody who um, had peanut butter splashed all over the walls, you know, just had my hands in all these pies and was chronically busy. And so I I needed a lot of control to make my life work. And I don't like the term control freak. I don't think it was quite so pervasive about that. But there was a lot of certainty that came out of knowing how things were. And also my conditioning included perfectionism. Mm -hmm. So to enter into a, let's say, healthy, functional, respectful, loving 15 year long relationship took a lot of rewriting of those things it took a lot of rewriting of having control because you you can't have a healthy functional loving relationship and be controlling it doesn't work that way I agree mm-hmm. when did you get to the point that you decided that you were going to make a choice out of this rewiring yeah I had a period that was a fairly intense kind of three-year period where I the the pattern of always being in a relationship kind of moving from one guy to the next and sometimes in hindsight I could see sometimes even being with someone more because they had an interest in me I didn't necessarily have the same (laughs) level of interest back um, that I just needed to be in a relationship so badly to feel okay. It wasn't that I took anything, but certainly it wasn't conscious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't a conscious behavior, but it was more comfortable to be in a relationship than out of one. Yeah, and yeah. I think 
a lot of what you're talking about it I think it comes sometimes from being so empathetic and seeing that perfect potential that untapped potential in someone that if they would only do what you think they could do then they you know it it would be so much better and so I think that's where that like control comes from is is seeing how much potential someone has if they only made choices in the way that you wish they would um and you know I think it it's very related to you being with someone simply because they're interested in you is you're basing your existence around this, what other people want basically. And I think that's, that's tied very closely to empathy and caring and putting other people first. Um, and that can, that can be damaging if you let it get out of hand in relationships. Well, and I think the way that we're conditioned, a lot of women really want to be sought after and they want to have, you know, someone kind of chasing them. And for whatever reason, that is just in and of itself, quite exciting. And that can really get the juices going. (laughs) And I can definitely relate to that for sure. Yeah. And sometimes there's also a codependent element in it as well, where, you know, the role that we've been given from our conditioning is to maybe be the carer or to be the pleaser. And so we're entering into relationships that basically keep those ideas about ourselves continuing. Yeah. Yeah. Get rid of the cognitive dissonance and be like, all right, here's my role. Oh, totally. I will do this. <laughs> yeah. And when you're kind of trying to either change someone or save someone in with the end game of they'll either love me more or it'll make our relationship better. Um, yeah. You're on some pretty, pretty slippery ground <laughs> at mm-hmm. that point. So you decided that you were going to make a bit of an experiment out of being single if I understand, I mean, what was your process of all this self-discovery that led you to realizing you were ready for an actual commitment? I think recognizing the few patterns that I had in relationship and, you know, hearing us talk about it now, I'm going, wow, this really sounds almost quite pathological. (laughs) it's It's quite sometimes overwhelming to look back at our own dysfunction and see how far we've come. You know, I wasn't a pathological girlfriend. I think a lot yeah. of people can relate to these patterns. Yeah, it's not and pathological. I think when we're analyzing our past, it can come off as like, I was this and label, right. label, label. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. obviously there is nuance and no one's like, oh, this is what I'm doing. I'm controlling you because I'm a caretaker. <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah, yes. I think when you look back and put labels on it, it can sound quite clinical and quite scary. But mm-hmm. yeah, we yeah. <laughs> trust us. We do not, no judgment here. <laughs> well, also, and who doesn't want to look back and say, look how far I've come. I, I think yeah. that's a beautiful thing. Claire and I, I mean, that's absolutely been huge parts of both of our journeys. And it's an amazing thing to see that journey. Yeah. It's those elements, though, that started to show themselves. I started to see that I actually was deeply unhappy, that I was feeling unsatisfied, that I had these patterns in relationships where, you know, I was always in a relationship, that the relationships that I was entering into weren't really serving my growth and that... 
um, I was doing the work in a lot mm. in a lot of those relationships. I was the one that was doing the traveling. It was, um, you know, not so much on his terms, but I was putting in a, a disproportionate amount of effort a lot of the times, and also very doted on by some of these, you know, very very lovely men and I learned a lot but there was just you know this period of time where so many things became obvious that I went actually I'm so always in a relationship that I, I don't even know who I am I just don't I have no concept of what I really like for myself and so choosing to be sing, single was about choosing to actually begin to cultivate a relationship with myself where I knew who I was and I could find myself in what I didn't know then was a lot of dysfunction and could, you know, begin to create a life that actually sustained me and had myself at the centre in a non-selfish way, but just, you know, we are the centre of our life and our life, you know, kind of flows out from there. So all of this discovery, were you already on the spiritual path that I know that you're currently on or did that come after? Definitely not in the same way that I am now. I think the self-discovery journey did include, I did find yoga. I did later find yoga. (laughs) (laughs) But at that point in time, you know, there, there was the beginning of yoga but not as a spiritual practice. Yeah, I would say no, it came, it came later. And actually much more, it came very soon after the birth of my oldest child, actually. I kind oh, of think of him as being the catalyst for my spiritual awakening. All right, so that, that was a bit of a jump. So I guess just my <laughs> last, from breakup to your child. So I guess my last question just would be, um, which I think will be helpful for our listeners, is when did you kind of realize that you were ready for a commitment again after all of this? It happened really organically for me. It wasn't so much a conscious, conscious process of, okay, I'm ready. I... Uh, kind of almost a funny story really that I ended up basically flat sitting for my now husband while uh, he was away for five months and didn't want to let his apartment be vacant and didn't want to hand it back so I got to reap the benefits of free rent and free internet you know what (laughs) Uh, that is so Australian I was a house sitter for almost a year and I met so many people who kind of did the same thing. There's something about house sitting in Australia. So I'm like, cheers to you. I know the, how great that can be. (laughs) Yeah, it was awesome. And then he asked me if I wanted to be a flatmate and I remember jumping up and down in the living space like, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Apparently I did really badly. And then we just so... (laughs) organically moved together we um we would plan the meals together we had this rule that whoever cooked the other person did the dishes but we'd do the dishes together anyway because we wanted to be together we did our groceries Mm -hmm. together and when I realized that I really liked him and wanted to be in a relationship which was quite a few months down the track like at least six months down the track was on New Year's Eve and he had gone out with a friend of his 
and I was at home, actually at home with his mother. But I was wishing that I was with him. And that's when I went, oh, actually, I really like this man. I remember saying something to his mother and her looking around at me and going, you think? (laughs) It's like those situations where everyone knows but you. And then you're like, all right, I get it now, I guess. Yeah. Um, but How- it's it's interesting. It's like you you got the living together and um, like kind of that domestic life trial run before even investing like romantically and emotionally in each other. I know. Talk about figuring out your compatibility so so easily. It's almost like I wanted to say it was like a baptism by fire, but not really because it seemed like you just kind of eased into it like a warm bath that's just really lovely great so you're 15 years in when did you decide that you were going to become a self-pleasure coach yeah yeah great just I'm just I've just gone straight back to that moment (laughs) it sounds like there's this pause but there's this pause because I'm I'm picturing it and I'm in it I uh so 2016 I had a experienced a really traumatic incident actually and I had six months of a massive black hole that came out of that I had two young children at the time and as I came out of that uh a book found me you know how that happens (laughs) and this book was called Pussy a Reclamation by Regina Thomas Howard amazing i'm a huge fan in fact if she's out there regina we'd love to have you on the show (laughs) call it in pussy juice on that (laughs) Uh, so i ordered gabby bernstein's latest book at the same time as i ordered pussy and gabby came first and i remember being devastated that the universe has your back had arrived and not pussy. And when pussy came, I was into it and I devoured that book. You know, I had a toddler and a pre-preschooler and I read that book cover to cover in seven days. Like It's quite an intense book. It's not something you can just read overnight and truly read and take in. And one of those reading sessions, I was sitting at my dining table looking at the beautiful view of the mountains that we have And I just had this light bulb that was pleasure is the missing link in my work. I'm here to bring this concept of pleasure to women. And that is what I have done ever since. And how long ago was this? That was October, 2016. All right. And I'm sorry, what did you say led you to even order the book in the first time? I don't even remember. Just one of those things where, you know, I don't know kismet happens awesome yep (laughs) just curious now you've been on this about five-year journey so I guess let's dive into it what we wanted to talk to you about mostly was you know sensuality in and outside of relationships Mm -hmm. so because a lot of our listeners are single I'm single I'm I want to know about this so what can you tell us about the importance of single sensuality what it means and how to get started yeah amazing question and such a big topic right I think the first thing that I would love your listeners to know is that sensuality can come with a lot of 
conditioned understanding that there's something dirty or shameful about that. And the way that I think of sensuality is that it's the sensual expression or the sensual experience. Like think of your five senses. It's information coming in through those senses that is pleasurable. So it doesn't have to be sexual at all. It can also be understood as, you know, a way of expressing our sexual self, but that sort of stems more into sexuality. So sensuality is, you know, touch. What textures do you like on your skin? So, you know, even the image that's coming up for me in my mind is, you know, if you've got a, a blanket on the end of your bed, for example, is that a blanket whose texture you actually like? And what does it feel like when you rub that across the back of your skin? You know, and that, that's not necessarily a self-care practice that we're all going to do, but just to give you an idea of something accessible. So it's the clothing that you wear and it's, you know, how you engage with your self-touch. You know, do you moisturize your skin when you do that? Is that in a loving, gentle way? Is it nurturing or are you just slapping it on? It's, you know, how you, there's no video, but I'm touching my hair. Like this can be just completely sensual. Even the way that we embody a smile, I think can be a sensual act because there's a real the sense of touch, the sense of feeling, you know, is actually part of our body and how we feel that and how it energizes us is part of this process. So if you were single and you were wanting to explore your sensuality, I would be most likely encouraging someone to get to know their own body a little more. So you know, even just touching, if I explain it as if you, you know, put one hand on the other, if you're not driving or you're not on a train listening and you feel comfortable to do that, mm -hmm. and then you can gently just like stroke the back of your hand and your fingers and you can turn your hand over and stroke the palm and then notice the tingling that's in your hand that's being touched and notice what it feels like on your fingertips as you're touching. But then also notice, do you desire something different? Do you desire maybe that touch to be a little firmer, like to have a little pressure? Do you desire a light scratch? And just play with those different sensations. What does that feel like? What does the scratch feel like? Does that create a desire for the touch to extend down your arm? What does the pressure feel like? Quite often, a little bit of firm pressure, pressure can help us kind of claim that part of our body as well. So just getting into the body, I think, is the first part of sensuality because that helps us be present for all the other elements of sensuality that we can receive. Oh, that is so good. I mean, I think people might have only really experienced this sort of exploration with a partner maybe and probably not at that like deep of a level it's it's almost like being aware of your body and the way it feels is something that's like sometimes just off limits except for during you know sex this relates to what I was going to ask so if you're single and you're maybe a bit hurting from a breakup and sex and sensuality and doing this type of exercise doesn't even cross your mind what would you say 
might be a reason to open yourself to this. I mean, I know that I've had times when I've just felt completely shut off from any of it. And, you know, before I knew, knew what was happening, you know, this idea of pleasure just wasn't even in my realm. Why, why do you think that this is important for someone who's not in a relationship and might not even be thinking in these terms? Yeah, before I answer that part, I'd love to backtrack a little bit and just address the overwhelm part of that. So feeling shut down in an overwhelm, you know, we experience that at various times through even any given day potentially, but particularly after a breakup that we're processing and particularly when there's been a lot of hurt and maybe even betrayal. This can be a symptom of the nervous system being in a stress response. So being in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And when we're in one of those states, we are literally in our limbic brain, a really ancient part of our brain, the limbic system, sorry. And the frontal lobes, we just don't have access to them in the same way. So the idea that we could create pleasure is just so many steps away because we're living in this part of us that is just focused on surviving. I just, you know if I can put food in my face and go to bed showered, then I've won, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's kind of that ancient mm. in my family mm. with my kids, we call it hippo mode because the hippo is the most dangerous land animal. And so, you know, we've gone into, Oh my God, there's a hippo running at me and oh, I'm going to die. <laughs> what do I do now? That's the next thing. So you actually need to address that first. You're not pleasure, sensuality, and, you know, full free expression of our being is not going to happen if we are in a stress response. So if you're constantly feeling overwhelmed and, you know, I really invite your listeners to look at, you know, what are the symptoms of fight for them? What are the symptoms of flight for them when you freeze? So, you know, freeze is, is basically the nervous system is thinking this is so bad that I'm dead and the body can come up with ways to reduce that cognitive dissonance. So it can be quite scary to be in freeze. But the way to get out of that is to move both sides of the body. So like going for a walk, doing some dancing. Um, if your listeners know what EFT or tapping is, when you do that with both sides, you know, when you come under the nose, you're alternating both sides of the body. And so what that does is the wiring from the motor cortex of one side is moving through to the other. And so it's creating this um, connection through the frontal lobe that is bringing you back into an integrated state that brings you out of the limbic system. I love that I'm doing all these hand motions and no one's even going to see it. Um, just because you bring up tapping and I just wrote down tapping and breakups, we have to do an episode on this. Is there um, by any chance, do you have a, a sentence or affirmation that you might suggest for someone who's kind of heartbroken and going to tap? I think it's really personal. It needs okay. to be whatever is coming up for them. And it can just be like, as if you're raging, like literally whatever, you know, they're such an asshole. I can't believe they did that. You know, whatever awful statements, feelings are there and you can just tap one on each spot or say one over and over again, and just whatever it is that needs to come up and let that flow. And my observation is that during tapping, things will eventually start to resolve. Like once you, if you get to the stage where you're noticing that, you know, something even remotely grateful comes through or something 
that has, you know, a shift from this distress that was originally there or the anger or frustration into some kind of softer tone, you've really moved a lot of energy then. And you can actually start from that place to tap in something nurturing, something really positive that might be, you know, even though this is difficult, I'm also okay. I'm really glad that you addressed this issue of not trying to put this as just one more thing that you're stressed about and to make sure that as Claire and I often say, you do give yourself time for the grieving process. You do let this kind of exit your system and then go on to that. That's a really good point to make. So once you do get it out of your system, for someone who's never really explored the world of self-pleasure, any... 101 tips? Yeah, I, I think an easy one is maybe to think about gentle ways that you can integrate self-loving practices and self-pleasure practices. So even, you know, getting out of the shower and moisturizing. And if you don't have a coconut allergy, coconut oil is a really good way to do that, especially a liquid like an MCT oil. You, um, you know, it doesn't stain your clothing. It gets absorbed into the skin really easily. You can get pump packs that, you know, control the amount that comes out. And you can also moisturize yourself really lovingly, like nurturingly. Again, I'm touching myself, you know, nurturingly applying that to yourself. And then as you feel brave enough, as you feel ready, you can also begin to include your more sensitive and intimate parts that, you know, we often skip over. We just totally gloss over those. And so you, you can just begin in this kind of really organic way to start to create a relationship with your body through touch that extends into areas that might feel a little taboo or shameful. And then from there, you can begin to explore those areas in that same way that we're exploring touch on our hand. You can begin to explore sensitivity in your own skin. And when we make sensuality, sexuality, self-pleasure really sacred, it brings in it brings in this different tone to it. So if you slow it down, like Mama Gina would say, you don't just want to create a crotch sneeze, <laughs> right? Or, you know, we, we don't just want to shove the first thing we can into our face when we need to be fed. We want to actually find something that's nurturing and nourishing. So, you know, what do you actually like? You know, so touch yourself in different ways, do, you know, a gentle touch, maybe do circles, maybe do little scratches or pull or, you know, running your fingers either side or around and explore pressure, explore the speed, explore with and without the coconut oil and just begin to just not even for the purposes of orgasm just begin to know what your own touch feels like, what your own body responds. So this question may come a little left field for you, Emma, but I'm, I'm like, there's no one else I would rather ask this since you are like the pleasure queen. Um, so I, what you're talking about is exploring what feels good for you, for your sake, for no one else's sake, for your sake and not even for the sake of achieving like orgasm or like this, this end goal, like pleasure for pleasure's sake. Um, and what I want to connect this to and ask for your opinion on is I know there's a lot of pressure that women um, can feel to fake an orgasm. Um, I've had 
people share this with me and say, you know, well, I don't want him to feel bad. Like he wasn't performing. Um, and for me, that really connects to the, Hey, pleasure for pleasure's sake. Like you don't need to orgasm for it to have been a good time for everyone involved, you know? Um, and so maybe if you could just speak on that a little bit, or maybe like what the damage is in faking an orgasm, because I think it's so huge. And Janice, you want to say something? Uh, yeah, just that I'm really glad that you're bringing this up because this comes up in dating relationships so often, and it has a lot to do with communication, which I'm hoping that we'll circle back to. So thank you for remembering to bring this up. Yeah, it's such a big topic. Like my head's going just a little bit of time. <laughs> okay a lot of time (laughs) (laughs) no because it's so big I think that you know this stems right back to you know cultural ways that we view women that we view bodies that we view sex how we get our education around pleasure which you know we don't really get an education around pleasure and we get a lot of our sex education in school is the birds and the bees we learn the mechanics of how babies are made how to put a condom on and it's quite, it's really quite functional. There's nothing about pleasure. Mm. Um, so in America, we don't get taught how to put on condoms. I'm just going <laughs> to. Oh, it depends on your school and your state. So yeah, like I came oh. from pretty progressive California. Okay. So yeah, we learned how to use condoms, but I never heard that women could have orgasms. Yeah, it's school. totally. And we never it mentioned was all that. about the male perspective, which, <laughs> yes. and don't you dare become pregnant, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> completely. It's really repressive here. And this could yeah. be another, another topic. And yeah, yeah, we could even, so Emma's um, joining us from Australia, which is really wonderful. And she's bringing what I consider very progressive <laughs> insight into uh, education in the elementary school system. So sorry to interrupt. Yeah. No, that's fine. Um, it's good to, you know, cross the cultural differences. Um, and, you know, in the birds and the beads education, male orgasm is not looked at from a pleasurable point of view. It's just, you know, basically ejaculation. Um, and then, so what we don't get from that, I think a lot of the time gets filled in by adult media, um, meaning very mainstream porn. And then also from Hollywood, from, you know, this ideal of, well, the stereotype that we see in movies like Fifty Shades of Grey and Twilight, where, you know, he is everything, you know, he's perfect, he's incredibly rich, he's handsome, he's fit, he's smart. And the woman is, you know, kind of a little bit dowdy and she doesn't have money and she's awkward and the real, he's very desirable and she's undesirable, but he wants her. And, you know, there's these huge stereotypes and they have this hot, steamy sex and ah. <laughs> and then in adult media, it's also really fast. You know, it's hard and fast. And- it's hard and fast. And then everyone comes at the same time, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes, 100%. And, and, you know, it sets us up to think that we are, we particularly as women, that we are responsible for the male to come. And it also sets up thinking that, you know, women will orgasm really easily. It doesn't really show an accurate representation of foreplay. It doesn't really show anything realistic about life and relationships. And libido is just not that straightforward. Like there's a whole cycle of desire and arousal that, you know, I've worked with a woman who 
hated unpacking the dishwasher so much that if her partner unpacked the dishwasher, that was actually a turn on for her. You know, like the libido and arousal are so complicated. But coming back to, you know, our how, you know, how we learn about pleasure impacts what happens in our relationships all of these ideas become what we think is normal and what we think is expected of us. And so those set, they set us up to think, well, we need to come, otherwise we're disappointing him. And it also sets us up to have relationships that aren't, or interactions that aren't necessarily really about what genuinely pleasures each other because we're not being taught to communicate to ask for what we desire, to provide feedback on softer, harder, a bit to the left, please. <laughs> yeah, and we need to do all of those things to be able to get to a place where, or, you know, pleasure for pleasure's sake, but also orgasms are natural and free and that, you know, we're not expecting that's at the same time. Yeah. yeah it's a really big topic. Well, this leads really well into the question that I've been dying to ask you. And that is whether or not you're in a new relationship or not, if you're not used to communicating your desires to someone, what is a good way to start that? You know, sometimes even just getting the words out can feel so uncomfortable to people. Is there any, um, tips or exercises or anything that you would you know suggest to someone who's having that problem yeah amazing question it's it's so insightful to think about you know how can I begin to communicate in a respectful way that invites cooperation and, and there's whole theories around how we communicate to do that the first thing I would say is don't communicate when you're pissed <laughs> <laughs> like not pissed as in alcohol drunk, but like angry because you're just going to end up saying things that you don't mean that you then have to resolve later. So just, you know, if you're getting really angry and the communication is going down south, see if you can create a pause. You know, this, it, it looks like we're both firing up. I don't think this is going to get us to where we need. Can we pause and come back in an hour or tomorrow? And then during that time, give yourself time to process, like don't go into a dissociative activity like watching TV or scrolling on your phone. You know, go into something that is deeply connecting for you, regulate the nervous system, move both sides of the body, do some tapping, and then also prepare, you know, what's the most, what is it that you, what's, what's the need that you've got that's not being met? Or, you know, what's the thing that you desire to be seen or heard? And how can you communicate that in the most loving way? And the other part of communication that I think is really, really important is for communication to be effective. We need to not be communicating to be right. We need to communicate to understand. And that is both parties. We need to be hearing what we think the other person is trying to tell us. And we need to be communicating in a way that we think the other person will understand what we're saying. And that might mean that we need to say something like, this might be really hard for you to hear. It's certainly hard for me to say, I'm gonna be really gentle and whatever it is, you know, it hurt me. I felt hurt when you spoke to me in this really angry way. 
you know, and to get to know what it is that you need to communicate, sometimes we need to take some self-exploration. You know, you don't, you don't know what you need to communicate in sex if you do not know your own body. Like, how can you guide the touch if you do not know what you like? So you need to spend time getting to know yourself, getting to know what you like so that you can then somehow find the words. And it takes bravery, especially if you've got conditioning that you're the caretaker. It takes bravery to be able to begin to communicate that way because your conditioning says, no, I'm the pleaser or, you know, I, I just can't speak up for myself. So that you might feel guilty and that will ease in time. So, so I think what you're saying is that the communication outside of the bedroom leads its way into more open communication inside of the bedroom. Definitely. Is that right? Yeah, I was kind of just answering generally, not specifically for the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely. I think it flows both ways. If you have better communication outside the bedroom, that'll help in the bedroom and in the bedroom will help out the bedroom. But for you know, sensuality, sex, relationship stuff specifically, you really, and particularly touch, like if you're talking about sex specifically, you really need to know what you want like what, what you desire. Like, and, and even sometimes you might have to ask more than once, not because they're not understanding the boundary, but because they actually just need more feedback about that. So I can think of a time when I was desiring my husband to kiss my neck and I'm, I'm touching my neck in this most loving, enticing way, as I say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I desired to have my neck kissed. And so he was kissing my neck and I'm like, no, no, I, I want you to kiss my neck. And so he started kissing my neck a little bit more and I'm like, no, I want you to kiss my neck like I am the most incredible woman you have ever seen in your life and you cannot get enough of me. And then he was kissing my neck. <laughs> but it took me multiple times to be able to communicate the energy that I desired for him to understand what it was that I was asking for. Because I think, you know, we're conditioned to, uh, I say we as <laughs> women <laughs> um, typically are conditioned to be like, okay, sex is about making sure he gets off um, and not speaking up. But, you know, we're also dealing with the men's conditioning and, you know, they've been perhaps watching porn since they were young now as like millennials and then especially Gen Z, like they never Mm -hmm. even got the whole magazine experience. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, you know, they've been learning. This is what you do. This is what you're supposed to do is go hard and fast. And that's often not what is going to be effective for women but they've also probably you know had a lot of um not saying a lot like a lot but you know they've had their sexual experiences quite likely they were never told hey you know that doesn't feel so good could you go slower could you go gentler like could you not do that angle um you know and everyone's different so you know this may be the first time perhaps that someone's actually spoken up and been like, Hey, that doesn't feel good. Um, you know, and I know, I know exactly how hard it is. Um, Mm. you know, so I think, yeah, uh, I think 
speaking up helps both people in the relationship um like whether you're in in a same-sex relationship or you know a man and a woman like it doesn't matter communication is going to help both of you and from what I know (laughs) is that they should want you to feel good and if they're like no this is how I do it this is how I like it fuck them I do it leave that's not what you want to do (laughs) yeah I was just going to say that as hard as it can be oh boy no pun intended tell you a lot about someone yes I was just gonna say (laughs) as difficult as it can be if you bring it up and maybe the other person isn't receptive well this is a big part in a relationship. Maybe that's the sign you need that, you know, yeah. there's not the compatibility yeah. there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or that, you know, we need some work on how we receive it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I can think of a couple of instances where I've worked with women who um, one of them, she said she was moving her partner's hand. So he, he was touching her vulva and she was moving his hand to the spot that she wanted it. And then he would move you know, he would move away and she would bring it back and he would move away. The third time she brought his hand back, he, his comment apparently was, you're fussy tonight. And I, you know, it's one of those moments where, you know, you recognize how, how kind of, how for me, I recognized how well I, one, manage my judgment (laughs) of, wait, what? That's so uncool (laughs) that, you know, no, you're not fussy. Like we just, we need to reinforce these messages. That does not make you fussy. But also what are the other things that could have communicated what it was that this woman desired to her partner in a way that helped him understand why she was bringing him back to that place so that he could change his perception of what was happening and how that landed for him internally, how that was processed. Yeah, I think it's really important. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Like, I, I think there's a way to make it sexy, you know, and focus on positive reinforcement. Cause we, we know yeah. from research humans don't do well, no animals really do that well with negative reinforcement. Um, it's not that motivating. Um, but if you're focusing on positive reinforcement and talking like we're training them but you you kind of in a way way, but you know like focusing on making like focusing on what they're doing right and really being like that felt so good and you know um and really highlighting those things and you know I, I don't think it'd be a good idea to just immediately after sex be like, you know, I didn't like it when you did that thing. Um, you know, you can, you can lead into it more tactfully. Um, and well, I guess I think, with, I think you with, can make communication a part of the foreplay and that's why yeah. foreplay is so important and that each person learn how to do it and use their, you know, use your voice, <laughs> you know, whilst you're engaging in foreplay. That sounded very clinical. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, while you're getting in the mood. <laughs> what I heard as you said that, what went through my mind was communication as part of foreplay. That sounds really sexy. <laughs> but this feeds back into also what works for us. You know, what does actually turn us on? Communication does hit what I refer to as my as accelerator. You know, it, it hits. The, the go button, the process that turns us on and poor communication hits my brake. 
which is, you know, turning me off. I, I would, there was something else that was said then that um, is how we receive. So asking for what we want also assumes that we have the capacity to receive what it is that we want and desire. And quite a lot of the time when our conditioning has been that we are a giver, you know, that our place is doing things for other people and in sex, you know, that we are the provider of pleasure. And this can go, you know, it's not just women that have that conditioning. So let's just loosen up all stereotypes here. If you are conditioned to be a pleaser in whatever form that means for you, you somehow invested in giving and do most of the work in relationships. When it comes to receiving, you might, may find that very difficult and you are likely to want things to look quite even. So if you are receiving oral, you are likely to feel like you might need to do something back at the same time. You know, you might need to be touching their hair, for example, or massaging their shoulders or wherever they can reach. Or you, you know, you have to do that same act back. And life is not reciprocal. And sex is not, you know, it's not reciprocal in this way of it's got to be tit for tat. Learning to receive means that you can, you know, it, it's not selfish to just lie back and enjoy the pleasure. I, I talk to so many, particularly men, but also women who say their greatest turn on is seeing their lover enjoy themselves when they are pleasuring them. And I especially hear that from heterosexual males who just that, ah, it just, that is the thing for them. If she's enjoying herself, then they're completely happy. And that requires us to actually feel okay to be touched and to let ourselves be touched and to let ourselves enjoy that. And our moans don't have to be big and loud. They can be gentle and soft, right? But we are allowed to receive that touch, that pleasure, and just be in that moment. And that also is how we take sex from hard and fast and, you know, more porn-like into this whole movement of make love, not porn. You slow things down, you become more present. And that, for people that are interested, can extend into tantric sex which is very present. If you're bringing more presence into your sex, more mindfulness, you are beginning to create tantric sex. And that is then the doorway to a full body orgasm, which is phenomenal. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying that because I think that you're totally right. We can talk all day about how to communicate this and we might communicate it in ways that are very clear and... Um, useful and that and we might even feel comfortable communicating it but yeah then how comfortable are you actually receiving it I can think of some very specific moments where I had a partner who you know all his attention was on me and he really just wanted it to be my moment <laughs> and I'm a sitting lot of there and, well yeah actually yeah and that's what I was yeah. thinking you know like this is a lot of pressure um, you know, I feel uncomfortable because, you know, it has gone on for kind of a while and that's just all that's going through my mind mm -hmm. is just, you know, 
yeah, how long has this been? What is he thinking? Like, what is he wanting? You know, like, (laughs) I wish I knew exactly how long it was because that's, yeah, that's all I can think of instead of just being really mindful and just receiving what it was that he, I think, did want to, to give. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is, you know, I know that this was so much harder for me when I was younger and having my first like experiences and it was very much like when is this going to end like because I don't like for foreplay because it was like it wasn't doing anything for me and I didn't know what I wanted and I didn't know you know if I did know what I wanted I didn't know how to say it and so it was just like let's just you know skip ahead um you know which is really sad to look back on because things have changed a lot but um you know I think our hope with discussing some of the things that we do on this podcast and that we will discuss on this podcast is that hopefully we can like cut that learning learning curve down a little bit for someone else because it took me a while um so yeah anyway (laughs) I think it takes a lot of women a while because of all the conditioning aspects that we've talked about. Um, And I wish that we could keep Emma here for another two hours and we've got to do a follow-up to this for sure. I've got all these ideas for future episodes that we could do, but I think that it would be important to touch on the role of self-pleasure once you are dating, once you are romantically involved with someone, once you are sexually active with other people again. I I know for sure that some people kind of like this goes, goes out of the equation. You know, you stop learning about your body solo once you're in relationship. And I know that you do not do that, Emma. So what would be some tips that you'd give to continuing the... Um, single or the self-sensuality once you are um, in relationship? Yeah. Uh, I, I think, how many, how many times have I started with, I think? <laughs> Often what I witness can happen is the mode in which we engage in pleasure and sensuality and, and express that sexuality and have our sexual interactions with ourselves or others really changes you know instead of what we do with ourselves being about the exploration of self and the relationship with self it becomes more about a quick functional orgasm you know we just want that release and I know that people who can make themselves orgasm with um and a crystal egg within 30 seconds and that's it they're done and so the purpose becomes quite different Something that I think has can happen for us is that we start to uh, place the role of sexual pleasure into the relationship and forget that we can also do that for ourselves. I think that's kind of sometimes what it is. Like, you know, our partner is lying there and we would like sex, we would like pleasure, we'd like to be touched. And so we seek that with them because they're there. And also sometimes we feel funny about still doing that with our partner, you know, they, they might catch me or, you know, this is just something that I share with my partner now. So sometimes there's those unwritten messages that we need to work through first. And then, you know, just still continuing to basically have a relationship with yourself 
And it's especially if you are someone who's wanting to kind of go down a more mindful and even tantric path, learning to touch yourself in a way where you can be super present and just be witnessing that touch is going to help you with presence in your sexual relationship. But you're still going to cultivate this knowing of the body that you can bring into your relationship with your partner if you're, you know, pleasuring yourself. And it just doesn't have to be for orgasm. It can be for tenderness, you know, which goes back to that idea of receiving, you know, do, how do we receive love? How do we receive care and tenderness? You know, it, the way that you're touching yourself for pleasure doesn't even have to involve our genitals. You know, it can be very pleasurable just to, to gently stroke your own face, for example, or like we did earlier in the podcast, our hand, you know, and so we can constantly learn about ourselves and our body and form our relationship with ourself first that then feeds other relationships that we have in our life, including the sexual relationship with our partner or partners. Thank you so much for that. That's all really wonderful. Um, I really want to go deeper with you on some of this another time. For our listeners who are either hurting from a broken heart, going through a breakup, feeling kind of stuck because they're suffering from losing someone, what do you want to say to them? Or I know that you've had your ups and downs as well as far as life and relationships go. So what would be maybe a few tips to kind of getting onto the next phase of a healing journey? Mm. There's so many beautiful, nurturing things that we would all love to hear when we're hurting that sometimes we might not feel worthy of hurting. So the first thing would be that your experience is real and that even though the hurt that you're in or the, you know, sometimes it's not even hurt. Sometimes it's just like your equilibrium is completely thrown. That That is a beautiful part of the fullness of the experience of life that will help to give you appreciation of other flavors of emotions. So just like we know what yellow is in a rainbow because there is blue and there is green and there is red we can understand our emotions differently and experience them differently because we have a spectrum and none of them are bad. So don't dismiss that feeling. Allow yourself time to process. Allow yourself time to be with yourself and to, you know, receive. If somebody wants to give and that feels nurturing, like say yes. (laughs) Yes, please, I would love that. And also that, uh, you know, the idea of this too shall pass, that sometimes we get really stuck in needing to know, you know, especially if you're the one that's been broken up with, I just want to know, I just want to understand. And this is really putting the power back onto the other person. So just being solid enough in yourself, you don't need all the answers which is, you know, it's not something that we can necessarily do in just a moment, but to just coming back to this, to this idea that, you know, I don't need the answer. 
to process this and understand and be okay. And then also adding in just like those small sips of water that are self-caring and self-loving and self-nurturing so that you can start to build a life that sustains you, that is about you, and that can also be solid enough that when you move into your next relationship, that you are still there as an entity in yourself rather than, you know, not saying that everybody does this, but sometimes we lose ourselves in our relationship if you, you know, kind of start building this solid foundation of who you are and what it is you need in life that will kind of carry you into the next relationship with beautiful stead and have this incredible ripple effect. Like our pain is so powerful, the transformation that we can have from discomfort and breakup and the learnings, you know, our breakups can also be very much a signal of, okay, this is something I don't desire in my relationship. So when I'm looking for the next time around, I have more clarity around what it is that really serves me that then serves and feeds the relationship. Oh, you're just leaving us with some incredible truth bombs here. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm like, I, I'm thinking about the 60 second clip preview. And I'm like, it's going to be somewhere in there, probably. Um, <laughs> we are so in sync because I was, yeah, I, yeah. I made a note the same. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, it's somewhere in there. This has been so incredible speaking with you, Emma. We really appreciate how you having you on the podcast and I know that our listeners are going to get something really great out of this episode and we'll drop your information in the show notes and everything but would you like to take a second and just share a little bit about the work that you do sure thank you um I ah I predominantly work with women essentially because when it comes to sexuality, I'm, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult to claim that I know men's sexuality. And I, a lot of the work that I do with women is to sort of help regulate those moments of overwhelm that we have so that we can start to live and create a life that truly sustains us. And um, I, I use the modality of pleasure through that basically to do that and then how that then flows into the bedroom and a lot of a lot of education really about what the cycle of arousal is and and libido and how to communicate so I do that through coaching and I run workshops and um, I do have some in-person events as well and workshops I have group programs too just you know having a mental blank all these things (laughs) yeah Awesome. Yeah. Well, definitely check out Emma's website and Instagram in the show notes. We'll drop those below. Um, But thank you so much for coming on and thank you for everything that you're offering the world. I mean, I am just so excited to see what happens with your business and your work. I'm excited to continue to collaborate with you. I'm excited to have you on again and really excited to share all of this. So yeah, you're a blessing. We're so glad that we know you and yeah, thank you. And thank you to everyone who listened in. We love all of you as well. See you next time. Thanks for listening to X-Files, a podcast about breakups, broken hearts, and moving on. 
If you like this episode, tag us on your Instagram story so we can connect with you. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at Claire Lotus. And me, Janice, on Instagram at JanisFormicella. If you'd like to join our online community, find us on Facebook at Breakups, Broken Hearts, and Moving On. Talk soon. Bye. And here's a preview of our next episode. One of his points and one of mine now as well (laughs) is that it takes time simply because we've lost a really big part of our lives with most breakups and also what we thought was going to be a big part of our future. And so we have every right to feel sorrow and also we have every right to have our breakup recognized by others. But the problem is that our society in large part doesn't really give space for this particular life transition.